Well, in your uh, bulletin today, there's an outline for a message you can follow along with me. We're going to be doing more of a topical message today as we think about baptism. I can think of about two summers ago where our family had gone out to Phoenix for a conference And while there, we decided to make that into a road trip where we would see many of the different national parks out west in Colorado and Utah and Arizona. One of our favorite spots to stop and probably our best hike on that trip was at Arches National Park. It was there we woke up real early one morning and before the heat kind of seized the desert, we went for a hike towards what is called Delicate Arch. I had Moses on my shoulders and Titus was strapped into to Melody's little pack and we walked this incline, what seemed like a few different miles. Eventually we arrived and it was a very picturesque scene. It was well worth the walk. Uh, I think most of our boys agreed with that, although some of them aren't saying no this morning. <laughs> And we got a great picture underneath the arch, and then we made our way back to our car. And by the time we got back to our vehicle, our van actually, it was already well over 100 degrees. So we decided to, to go into the little town right outside of the park there called Moab. Many of you have been to Moab, I presume. It's a, it's a magnificent little tourist town. And there they had this large gift shop. And our boys and my wife made a beeline for that gift shop. And I said, I think I'm just going to go across the street, and there's like a chamber of commerce there. When I walked in, uh, I was looking at different information about that Moab area, and then there was a little gift shop. And I remember seeing this cup, and I'm not one to buy souvenirs or knickknacks, but here is one that says Delicate Arch, Arches National Park. And I thought, man, this was such a great morning, a wonderful hike. We could have this cup here to commemorate this. My wife likes to drink coffee, and so I, I bought this for her and as kind of a gift. Well, as I went back to that gift shop, they were still looking and still hunting, and, and, and patience began to rise, and I eventually just said, okay, y'all need to pick something out, and we are going to the van, and I'll see you out there. Well, eventually they made their way out, and my wife and five little boys, and they kind of had this little bit of a train, and one by one they got into the van, and and I put it in reverse, and I began to back up, and then suddenly this guy was walking on the sidewalk, and he began to slam on our hood, and he says, you got another kid out here, you can't go yet, and so I put it back in park, opened the slide door, and Joshua entered the side of the van. (laughs) So as I was drinking coffee this morning... From this cup, I was not only thinking about that hike, but I was thinking about the day that we almost lost Joshua. (laughs) But isn't that something, how a cup of coffee can bring back a memory? Something tangible like this. And tangible things were significant to God in the Scriptures. There were times where he would meet with someone like Abraham and they would build uh, an altar. There were times where God did something so important that he wanted to commemorate that work by instituting a festival like the Passover or like Pentecost or the Festival of Booths where every year they would remember what God had done. Now in the New Testament, we really have two of these things. We call them ordinances. One is called the Lord's Supper. 
this is where we tangibly touch and taste. And we remember Jesus' body and His blood. And we, we get a chance to just remember that. And then the second one is what we're going to be focusing on this morning is baptism. We're going to talk about what baptism is. Remember when you were in school and you did the who, what, why, how? And that's how you were instructed to write a paper or give a presentation. Well, that's the approach I want to take today. Let us consider baptisms, the basics of baptism. And we're going to be just looking at an assortment of different verses. So let us first consider what, what is baptism? I think every church, it is healthy for them to have a faith statement. When I was in college, I remember I was new to the faith. I remember going to a little church. And as I went in, it seemed like there was some really weird and bizarre stuff taking place. And as I, I walked out a little bit after the service, I asked one of the men, do you have a doctrinal statement? Could I read what that says? And the man says, it's right here, brother. It's right here. And I, and I thought, actually, I would like, I'd like to actually read what do you believe? Because it doesn't seem like everything that took place here today was actually scriptural. Well, as a church here at Highland Crest, we have a faith statement. It's called the Baptist Faith and Message. And you see it there in your outline of what, how we define what we believe about baptism. It says this, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. So what is baptism? You see it there. It is an act of obedience, symbolizing the believer's faith. If you've been in church for a while, you likely will know the, the classic illustration that we often use. It's that of a wedding ring, right? Sixteen and a half years ago, my wife and I stood in the, back, in the backyard of her parents' house. And it was there where we got married. And as there was those tiki torches that were being lit and we could smell the fragrance from them... We entered into a covenant with one another where we pledged ourselves to be faithful for our lifetimes. And then to commemorate that, to illustrate that, we both got out wedding rings. I slipped one on her finger, she slipped one on mine. And we said, this will be a reminder that we have entered into this covenant. But we didn't get married just when we put that ring on. We got married when we entered into a covenant. In the same way with baptism. We don't get baptized to enter into a relationship with God. We already have entered into a relationship with God. And now this is an outward expression of that. In fact, you see a statement there in your outline. What is baptism? It is an outward expression of an inward reality of saving faith. I remember when I was in high school, my brother's two years older, and he began to have this strange guy come over and meet our family every so often. He was dressed in a uniform. He was from the Navy. And this was a recruiter. 
And he was trying to recruit my older brother, and eventually he did. And I remember the day where they were sitting at our dining table. There was my stepdad, there was my mom, and there was my brother right in the middle. And they held out these papers, and he signed those papers of a date in which he would go to Great Lakes for basic training. And it was there where he became property of the United States Navy. The day that followed, he would go to basic training there, and he would get his physical, and he would get his haircut, and he would get lined up with all the other men and women that were joining the Navy. And then after that, he received a uniform. He put that uniform on, and it was an outward expression that he had joined the Navy. But he was already in the Navy. But then he put the uniform on. In the same way, baptism is like that. We are going to observe four get baptized today. We were going to have five, but one was sick. So we have four baptisms today. And these four people are, are professing of something that has already taken place in their life. They have already been born again. They have already trusted Christ. And now they are offering an outward expression of that. As we go through each one of these questions, I'm going to provide a little bit of a misunderstanding. So here's the first misunderstanding. Some would say, I get baptized so that I can receive a special power from God. As if there is something magical about this water. Well, I'm here to tell you today that behind me is a baptistry, and that is tap water. And you could just as easily get baptized in the Fox River, although I would not recommend it, (laughs) particularly on a November morning. But there's been no holy water added to this. This is simply tap water. And there is no special graces, no special powers that are going to be given to the people that get baptized today. Here's a second question. First one was this, what is baptism? The second one is, who gets baptized. Who should get baptized? Well, the definition, I think, gave us an answer to that. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who gets baptized? It is those whom God has saved through repentance and faith. Now, if you're new to the New Testament or new to the Scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all what we call the Gospels. And they give a detail of Jesus' life and ministry. But the next book is the book of Acts. At the very beginning of Acts, Jesus ascends back into heaven after he has been raised from the dead. And the book of Acts gives a historical account of the first century church. Let's look at Acts together, can we? Let's look at Acts chapter 2. And I want us to look at six different instances where people got baptized. And we're going to find this pattern. What took place first is they agreed, they submitted, they believed in Jesus to save them from their sins. They repented. And then after that, they got baptized. So look with me at Acts chapter 2. The first instance here in Acts chapter 2 is one of the disciples, Peter himself, is preaching. We call this the Pentecost. He is preaching to a large group of people. And what is he preaching? He is preaching Jesus, that Jesus was crucified for our sins, that we need to repent. 
Look with me what it says at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says there, So those who received his, that's Peter's word, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what happened first? There was a sermon. The gospel was preached. And there were people there that believed. They received that word. They placed their faith in Jesus. They repented of their sins. And then they got baptized. Look with me at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. First sermon was by Peter. The second sermon is by Philip. Philip is going out and he is preaching the message to those in Samaria. And we find in Acts chapter 8, verse 12. It says of these Samaritans, But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women. Did you see it? First, they believed. They believed in the good news. They placed their faith in Jesus to save them from their sins. And then secondly, they got baptized. Look with me at another passage found in Acts chapter 10. The gospel is going forward now to those who are not circumcised, that is not Jews only, but to what we call Gentiles or those who are non-Jews. Peter again, he was found in chapter 2, he's now found in chapter 10. It says here in chapter 10, verse 44, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is those Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Listen to verse 46. For they were hearing them, they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter's preached this message. There is evidence that they are following this message. And Peter says, Let us not withhold water that we would baptize them. Let's look at two other instances. Both of them are found in Acts chapter 16. We've listened to Peter preaching a message, Philip preaching a message, and now let us consider Paul preaching a message in Acts chapter 16. He is going to go to a city called Philippi. Perhaps you've heard of the book of Philippians. While they're in Philippi, according to Acts chapter 16, verse 14, he bumps into a woman named Lydia. It says here in verse 14, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized. Do you see it? Paul preached the message. The Lord opened her eyes, the eyes of her heart. She received the gospel, and then she was baptized. Well, a little bit later in this experience in Philippi, if you know the story, Paul and Silas are going out preaching. They get themselves in trouble because they exercise a demon out of the slave girl, and that was the livelihood of these two guys. And so they rig up something against Paul and Silas, and they have them thrown in jail. And it says in verse 25 of Acts 16, 
During the time in jail, they were praying and they were singing. In verse 26, there was a great earthquake that come, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and every bonds were unfastened. And as they go out, they see a jailer. And the jailer's about ready to take his own life, because if the prisoners flee, then the jailer will have his life taken. And Paul urges him not to take his life. Look with me at verse 30. The jailer says then, then he brought them out saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. So who is it who gets baptized? It is those who have trusted Christ to save them from their sins. We see this pattern run consistently throughout the book of Acts. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by obedience. And the first step of obedience when a person becomes a Christian is by following through with baptism. So here's another misunderstanding. Some would believe, I get baptized before I become a Christian. There are churches out there, Bible-preaching churches. I've got friends that attend Presbyterian churches, and many of you do too, or maybe you have family members like that. They preach the same gospel that is preached from this very platform. But they will baptize babies before they become a Christian. And here's the thinking, here is the rationale, or here's the theology behind it. They see that circumcision in the Old Testament becomes baptism in the New Testament. And so what they need to do is baptize babies with the promise that one day they would become followers of Jesus. And here's my point to that. There is no place in the scriptures where we see baptized getting, our babies getting baptized. So let us just follow the pattern that is set forth by scriptures. We just followed six different cases here in the book of Acts. People become a Christian, then they get baptized. Having said that, is that a cause to, to not fellowship with someone that baptizes baby yet affirms that that baptism doesn't save them? There are some that believe that, of, of reform persuasion. And I have reform leanings myself. But I believe that one is saved first, and then they are baptized. I can remember a few years ago, Pastor Jim and I went to a conference outside of Cleveland, hosted by one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, who is a Baptist. And on the same platform with him was uh, Albert Moeller, who was a president of a Baptist seminary. And they shared the platform with one of my favorite preachers and authors, Sinclair Ferguson, who is a Presbyterian and who does baptize babies. So there are times if a person really believes that gospel is justification by faith alone, we still can have fellowship with one another. But that's probably not something we would invite a Presbyterian to talk about here at the church, right? About infant baptism. We will, we will agree on the essentials of 
the gospel. There could come a time where our church would, would join forces with a church of a Presbyterian persuasion. And maybe we differ on this part, but let's understand, they would not baptize a baby to, for them to get saved. It would be different, okay? So why would someone get baptized? Who gets baptized? It's those who have already been saved through repentance and faith. So let's consider the third question. Why does one get baptized? And the answer to that is Jesus commanded baptism. And the early church obeyed. The Great Commission says this. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. One cannot obey the Great Commission and ignore baptism. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Baptism symbolizes union with Jesus. Baptism symbolizes union with Jesus. Let me look at Romans chapter 6. Let me read to you just a few verses from that. Romans 6 Verses 3 and 4 speak about the symbolism of baptism. We're going to hear the word baptism in these two verses, but it's not referring to a wet baptism, but it's that word that means to be immersed in what happened to Jesus. Look with me at verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What Paul is saying here is that when we became a Christian, it's as if our old self was crucified with Christ. And when Jesus was raised from the, from the dead, we too, in a spiritual way, were raised from the dead. You see, this baptismal waters here is going to illustrate for us what happened when we became a Christian. The old self goes underneath the water, and that symbolizes the old Chad dying. And when that candidate comes up out of the water, that symbolizes the new person that is possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. This not only is a testimony to the person who is getting baptized, but it is also to us again today. I believe there's probably some people in this room that God has identified a a sin in your life. And you're saying, God, would you help me? Help me in this area that I might obey you. And you're praying and you're applying scripture and you're meditating, you're memorizing. You've involved others to help you with this. And you will be encouraged today when you see this picture again. It will remind you that your old self died and that you now have a choice. At one time you were a slave to sin, but now you are not a slave to sin. You have a choice to obey. God has given you power to obey each moment of your day and night. And this is what the baptism provides for us. It is a picture. Why does one get baptized? It is commanded. It is a symbol, and let me give you another misunderstanding then. There'd be one that would say, I get baptized 
so that I can have my sins forgiven. I get baptized so that I can have my sins forgiven. We have friends that will attend a different church. Let me just give you, read you a statement here from Ludwig Ott. This is from a source called Fundamentals of the Catholic Dogma. I'm quoting now. And it says, Baptism is that sacrament in which being washed with water in the name of the three divine persons is spiritually reborn. In other words, when that person gets baptized with water, they are spiritually reborn. They become a Christian. And the Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. There's another form of this misunderstanding that says, in order to be a Christian, yes, I understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He did his work, but I also have to do my work and I have to be baptized. And so he'll do his side and I'll do my side. But we find out this is not what the scripture teaches. Salvation or getting right with God is entirely a work of God. Our boys go to karate on a couple of nights a week and Joe Meyer drills into them the gospel. And he has them memorized Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the what? Gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift. A gift is something that is granted to you and all you need to do is receive it. There's no strings attached. It's not God does his part. Now I got to do my part. You just simply receive this gift. Sometimes we've been contacted by one of these timeshare places and they'll say, free gift. You come on down here to Florida and we'll give you an all expense paid two or three nights stay at this luxurious resort. That is not a free gift. That is torture, right? (laughs) There's no strings attached here with Jesus. This gift is offered. So then finally, let us conclude the last question, and that is, how does one get baptized? I think this is pretty straightforward. The word baptism itself means to dip or immerse. But it's, in fact... The English word is just moved from the Greek word into the English column. It's just baptizo, baptism. Okay? And if the word, and here's your misunderstanding, if the word meant sprinkle or if it meant pour, there are Greek words for that. In fact, uh, the Greek word uh, is found for sprinkle, is found in the book of Hebrews. And the Greek word for pouring is also found in Matthew where you have someone pouring out water. But this is not the word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Rather, it is to dip or to immerse. And so as we just do a quick survey of the New Testament, we'll find that in order to be baptized, one needs the following things. One, they need water. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance. The second thing you need is you'll need plenty of water. In John 3, verse 23, John the Baptist was out baptizing in Ana near Salem because water was plentiful there. 
He needed to find a place where there was a lot of water so that they could baptize. So in order to baptize, you need water and you need plenty of it. The third thing you need is to be able to go down into the water. Look with me at Acts 8.38. I'll read it for you. And this is the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You need water. You need plenty of water. You need to be able to go down into the water. And the last thing you need for scriptural baptism is you need to come up out of the water. And so you find it in Acts 8, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, referring to the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 of Jesus' own baptism, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. So what do I need to be baptized? Water. Plenty of water. You need to go down in the water. You need to come up out of the water. And I think there's only one logical conclusion of what baptism then is. It is immersion. And only immersion fits that illustration of union with Christ. Of one being completely dead in their sins and being alive in Christ. There's a misunderstanding that says I get baptized by sprinkling or pouring. Let me just conclude by saying this. Baptism is a cause for celebration. I mean, when you go to the hospital, there's one area that we like to go, right? All the other areas, well, maybe the cafeteria too, but all the other areas we want to stay away from. Where do we want to go? The maternity ward, right? Why? There is life. And we celebrate that. Let me see those little kids. Can I hold that little kid? Oh, he is so cute or she is so cute. And they all look the same. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but the reason that we celebrate baptism is this is a tangible way of seeing the Great Commission is being carried out. And we celebrate the Great Commission being carried out when we see family members, children getting baptized, because the Great Commission begins in your home, right? With your, with your spouse, with your children. And we also celebrate it when people are responding to the gospel outside of our home as well. Baptism represents one being born again. Recently, I've just been looking over our baptismal numbers And last year, from the first day of September to the last day of August, that is what we call our church calendar, we baptized four different people. And praise the Lord for that. The year before we did one, the year before we did two. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't join me praying that for this next church calendar that we would see ten, ten people get baptized. And my goal is not so much to see if we can just try to get people to go through this ritual, but ten people baptized that represent people being born again. And I wonder if we could, we could pray for that and let's see what God would do. Perhaps it's because of me. I haven't provided the instruction to see what the Bible says. This is commanded that we are to do this. So if we do this, then what I would recommend is for us just to set aside a few Sundays throughout our church calendar. Say, hey, we're going to have a baptismal service and let us pray that that water be filled and that water would be used 
to represent a life that has been changed by the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are you a candidate for baptism? Have you trusted Christ to save you from your sins? If you have, have you been baptized? Maybe your story is similar to mine. I was born again in college, about 19 years old. I attended this uh, little church right off the church campus. It was a church of the Nazarene. It was a great, great church, a wonderful pastor. And they baptized like once a year. I graduated college and I ended up coming to Green Bay and I attended here at Highland Crest. I never was baptized. I've been a Christian for years. And I thought, why would I need to get baptized? I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. But then it was sitting under the preaching of Jim Downs for all these years of just hearing a message just like this to say, if you really are a follower of Christ, then you will follow him through baptism. And is that true of you? Have you followed through in baptism? Well, this morning we are going to celebrate that there are four that have said, I have. I am a believer and by God's grace, I've been saved from my sins, and I want an outward expression of that for my whole church family to let you know that I'm now a follower of Jesus. And for that, we celebrate. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful picture that we have of changing lives. And I pray that as we think about this year ahead, we celebrate today these four And we pray that there would be more lives changed in the coming year. May they receive your gospel. And may that be just visibly observed in obedience through baptism. In Jesus' name, amen.